So Judas is the betrayer, the person who set Jesus up, and the person who will forever be known by that title, which doesn't seem fair in many ways because we don't know about the rest of Judas' life as we'll come on to explore. But we do know about that aspect, and so we know Judas as the one who betrays Jesus. And betrayal is so poignant, isn't it? Because it can happen in so many ways. It, it can happen with others betraying us. We might betray others. And at critical points in our lives, we also often have the perception that God is actually betraying us. Often at times around personal loss or suffering, we can feel that actually God is not only not present but also that God is actively betraying us or against us. And you know, it wasn't pretty at the cross. Jesus himself cried of being forsaken by the Father, and yet the reason he went through the, with the cross was his submission to God's will. He cried, yet not my will, but yours be done. And part of the cross goes far beyond the physical scars on Jesus' body to the invisible scars of betrayal. The invisible scars through which he took on himself the sins of the world. Those parts of God's plan that you and I have, have not kept up, to, up with. The invisible scars of betrayal on Jesus' body. And I think we all carry these invisible scars that speak of our own experiences of betrayal or betraying in our own lives. Betrayal is one of the most powerful human emotions. It's, it's an abandonment, a violation of trust between two um, people um, who are in close relationship. And it can happen in so many ways. Couples can betray each other. Confidences between close friends can be lost or revealed. A promise of promotion in the workplace um, can be unfilled as someone gets overlooked and there's betrayal there too. Are these or instances like them examples of betrayal that you've encountered in your own lives? because I suspect there will be great stories of betrayal here this morning. And of all the behaviours of the characters we've looked at in this series, looking at those who joined Jesus in his last days and watched with Jesus at the cross, we've looked at the centurion and issues of authority, we've looked at Pilate and issues around integrity, we've looked at the three Marys who watched on lamenting what was happening to Jesus. But perhaps betrayal is the most profound experience because it separates people who before that were in a meaningful relationship. Times of betrayal can teach us about the fragility of our human relationships, but also the surety of Jesus as a sure rock on which we can base our lives. 
And so even in the midst of these overwhelming emotions, we can learn something about Jesus. So two things in relation to our experience of betrayal by others and sometimes our perception of betrayal by God. I want to suggest to you this morning, perhaps um, unencouragingly, that betrayal like conflict are natural parts of human life that they're part of our human condition by which we conflict with each other and by which often we let each other down. So almost the question becomes not are we going to experience betrayal, but in experiencing it, how do we move on? How do we come to terms with the loss of relationship or the loss of trust in a relationship? How do we respond to that? And ideally for that process to begin, there's the need for forgiveness. And for forgiveness to be extended, we need to know that the person um, who has betrayed is sorry, that there is what we would call as Christians repentance. And that that repentance allows a space for authentic forgiveness to come about. Now there's an important point here because when wrestling with betrayal, there can often be a tendency to blame self. Let me just say that again because I don't want to lose this point. When wrestling with betrayal, there can be a tendency to blame self. I've lost that friendship or, or he or she betrayed me because I wasn't good enough to be their friend or I didn't do enough. Or in the workplace, I got overlooked for that promotion that I was seeking because I just didn't work hard enough or that person's more talented than I am. Or tragically, in situations which we know happen of abuse, abuse victims blame themselves for what has happened to them because they believe themselves to have done bad things. Self-blame is not part of moving on from betrayal. But authentic forgiveness can be. So I want to ask you, how many of you feel at any time in your lives that you've been betrayed by God? How many of you feel that at some critical point in your life, God just wasn't there for you? And I've known many people on losing loved ones claim that God has betrayed them. And I've personally struggled at times when, you know, at conferences you pray for people to be healed and God is faithful and you, see, and you see miracles happening before your eyes and people getting healed of different conditions and so on and yet you wrestle with your own internal demons that say, I'm still suffering. And it's hard not to feel um, that God is not there. John F. Kennedy um, puts it like this. This is a brief quote. Life's not fair. The Bible in Ecclesiastes puts it like this. This is in Ecclesiastes 9. I have seen something else under the sun. The, ra the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. 
as, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And to really grasp what the writer is saying, you need to frame it through this other verse this morning. This is from Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. These two passages reveal something of the pain of betrayal, but also the sovereignty of God. The preacher in Ecclesiastes is finding the randomness of our human events hard to understand. And we can understand this, can't we? If I nurture my relationships, I expect them to be healthy. If I work 110% um, in my employment, then I expect to get promotion. Two and two equals four. We have this view um, that, 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 that if we do things, then other things will happen as a result of them. We expect our actions to have certain consequences, which in our minds are just and righteous outcomes of our actions. Betrayal then becomes painful because we're not only asking that profound question of why, but we're also wrestling with a sense of loss as we fail to realise something that we expected to come our way. Isaiah, in a passage uh, which invites us, Isaiah 55, which invites broken people to return to the Lord, reminds us that the ways of God are much more to be relied upon than human intuition. God's ways are perfect, as is his timing. God doesn't cause us to experience betrayal, but he does invite us to trust in his ways and his wisdom. So let's turn now to Judas, and we'll come on to chapter 27 shortly. But if you have your Bibles open, let's turn to Matthew 26. And let's watch this story of betrayal build um, as Matthew tells us of Judas. So in Matthew um, 26 in the Bibles. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went over to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. That's in verses 14 through 16. Now, we don't know <coughs> a lot about Judas. Um, in fact, we know two things. Firstly, that he was one of the 12 apostles, that he was called to be one of the 12 apostles. And secondly, that he handed Jesus over to the Jewish authorities. So those are the two things that we know about him. So Judas's only significant involvement in the Gospels as, as recorded is the betrayal. And of the many things we don't know about Judas, 
One of the most significant questions I have in my mind as I've been preparing this reflection is what his motivation was behind the act of betrayal. Was Judas seeking power? Was ambition driving his, 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 his setting up of Jesus? We know that the Jewish authorities, we know that the chief priests and the elders of the people were increasingly um, aware of Jesus' influence and, in their view, his disruption of their traditions. Was Judas also feeling that actually, rather than Jesus having such prominence, actually Judas should be the one who was having this place of prominence in society? Was it ambition driving Judas? Or was it wealth? You know, we know that he went to the, um, to the chief priests and he said, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? So there's a financial interest there. Is that what's driving this whole process? Is, is Judas after money? And friends, as we become aware of the types of, of, of situation that can lead people to betray others of power, ambition, and wealth, we need to recognize these trigger points in our own lives. If Judas was uh, hard up, if Judas was bankrupt, what would you do to survive? You know, what would be the cost of betrayal for you? Hard questions, seriously hard questions. But we need to be aware that if we're to love each other um, and behave in a God-honoring way, then we need to be aware of the triggers which can lead us um, in other directions. So to dinner, and it's Passover, and the disciples were gathered around table just as we're gathered around table this morning. And we have this scripture in um, Matthew 26, 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. And imagine for a moment that you are Judas in this situation. Almost systematically around the table, apostle after apostle is saying to Jesus, You know, not I, Lord, surely. You know, no, it can't be me. It's not me, is it, Lord? And for them, it must be coming from the place of, Jesus, do you know something that I don't? You know, am I about to betray you? Do you know that prophetically? You know, is there something that I'm missing? Is there some knowledge I don't have? You know, I don't want to betray you. Is it, is it going to be me? And, and time after time, Jesus gets asked this question by the apostles until we get to Judas, who has already done the deal with the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And Judas, unlike the other apostles, is sitting there thinking, it is me, I know it's me. I want to know if he knows it's me. And Jesus confirms, as Judas tentatively asks the question, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus says to him, you have said so.
And then later on, in chapter 26, in verse 47, Judas comes with the chief priests to arrest Jesus. And the betrayal is sealed with a sign of affection, a kiss. So now Jesus has been arrested and he's on his way to the governor. Uh, and in chapter 27, um, Judas sees the scale of what he's done. So he rushes into the temple and he declares to the chief priest, I got it wrong, I've changed my mind, this man was innocent. And he wants to hand back the 30 pieces of silver which sealed Jesus' fate in the first place. But the chief priests aren't interested. These are political operatives, the chief priests. They're operating politically now. They've got what they want. They found their mole. They found someone to set up Jesus. He has set them up. He's given them the opportunity in the garden. They've arrested him. Jesus is on his way to the governor. Their side of the bargain is done and they're not interested in Judas anymore. Now, whether you have sympathy for Judas or not, just recognise for a moment that this is a broken man. We all make bad choices. We all do things which are wrong, and we know them to be wrong, but we all hope that there's the opportunity for restoration and reconciliation. So place yourself in Judas's life for a moment as this broken, distraught man with suicide on his mind, comes into the temple. And he comes into the place of worship, that place where sins are proclaimed to be forgiven, that place where offerings are made for the forgiveness of the people. And he finds that the chief priests just aren't interested in his life anymore. Judas is a broken man. And he goes out and he hangs himself and the chief priest by a field called the field of blood with the money because they don't know what to do with it otherwise. There is throughout the Gospels this interesting thread to do with the temple. Um, Jesus goes into the temple and overturns the tables because there was trading activity going on inside the temple. In today's reading, um, a broken man goes into the temple courts uh, and the chief priests um, who should be ministering God's love and mercy are the people who are operating politically and not caring for, for Judas. There is this subtext um, sometimes in the Gospels which I pick up on which suggests that actually you know, the focus of life is increasingly shifting to Jesus Christ, which, of course, is the story of the Gospels. What fascinates me in all of this is the beauty of Jesus. After Judas had said, surely not I, Rabbi, and Jesus had confirmed that actually it was him who was to betray him, they shared a meal together, they shared Passover together. There is something beautiful about the character of Jesus who knows that someone sitting with him at table is going to betray him, yet still values and loves that person enough to have a meal with them. 
there is something beautiful about the character of Jesus which is not encountered anywhere else. And there's something, you know, that, that's in that narrative about the temple where grace is not found, but in Christ Jesus it is. And Judas, a broken man, finds forgiveness. And we don't get to know in Matthew's account because the ordering of the events. Because uh, Judas um, conspires to have Jesus arrested Jesus does get arrested, uh, and then Judas hangs himself, and then the events of the crucifixion, uh, and so on, carry on. So Judas is not someone who, like Mary or the Roman centurion, get to watch Jesus on the cross and get to see that ultimate act of forgiveness unfolding. But Jesus did get to have dinner with Jesus. Judas did get to have dinner with Jesus. There'll be many here today who have known um, betrayal in their lives, just as I have in mine. And the cross reminds us through, through Judas that forgiveness is always possible, that there is always hope. I read a quote um, in the week from a guy called Bill Johnson who said, um, I need to remember this quote, that if there's any part of life, of your life, which doesn't have hope in it, that part is living under a lie because Jesus brings hope into our lives. Let's pray. Lord, when the darkness overwhelms me and the madness of my own conclusions suffocate me, when there is no one to turn to and all my bridges burnt, my last hand played, seek me out, overtake me. I know I'm running fast. I don't seem to be able to do anything else. I've even stopped caring about the direction. I just can't stop. Be there for me in the private moments of self-inflicted hell, when the rope is round my neck and the vultures gather, you are my only hope. I've always known it, but never been able to follow. Now I would like to eat your bread. Now that I am at last hungry, feed me with yourself. Lift our eyes, Lord, to Calvary. Help us know that forgiveness trumps everything else. Help us to know, Lord God, that there is no area of our lives which cannot be impacted or restored or reconciled by your hope. Thank you, Jesus, that on the cross you died to set us free. And no power of hell or scheme of man can separate us from that. Lift our eyes, Lord Jesus, to Calvary. <clears throat>